everybody. Welcome back to another video here on Financial Friends. Today, you have joined an episode of This Week in Finance, where I take all of the news that I found interesting, applicable, noteworthy throughout the course of the week. And I break it down. I talk about it and give my opinion here on the channel. So stick around for the entire video. We are going to talk Disney as we pretty much always do. Burger King, Starbucks, Peloton, obviously, and a little bit of Ethereum as well. So stick around, grab some popcorn and kick back. Let's dive into things. So first things first, this was not even on my spectrum of news. Um, but it happened today. Ethereum completed the merge. Now, I don't talk a lot of cryptocurrency on this channel, particularly because I don't invest too heavily in cryptocurrency. It's not really in my circle of competence. I thought it was for a long time, just like everybody thought it was at one point or another. But nonetheless, it cuts mining and or it ends mining, I should say, completely um, an energy use by 99.95%. Obviously, that's just the headline. The proof of work has now been replaced with proof of stake, meaning that people no longer have to mine Ethereum, whether it be with their computer or some device they built or whatever it is. But instead, everyone takes their Ethereum, stakes it somewhere, and that kind of does the work that needs to be done. The details can be found in articles. You can go ahead and look it up, but I did just want to mention it because as a whole in the finance community, it is of somewhat of an importance because it's changing, right? It completely changed. It was hyped up for a very, very long time, um, and it finally happened. Moving on. All right, Burger King. They unveiled a $400 million plan to revive Burger King. Um, the company or Burger King is actually a part of a larger brand or company called Restaurant Brands International. I broke this down in not a previous video, but a previous post talking about all of these different restaurants and what brands they were under. There's a lot of companies out there that actually own multiple restaurant brands, Restaurant Brands International being one of them. Now, they said they're going to invest $400 million over the next two years on advertising and renovating restaurants as a part of a broader strategy to revise or revive lagging sales in the United States. Now, taking a look at this, we could see the chart of market share in 2019. I know it's a little bit small on your screen, but Burger King sits at 1.2%. Now, this is by global fast food market share. McDonald's probably picks up even more um, because of the fact that this is global. But Burger King at 1.2%. There's not really any way to slice or dice it. If McDonald's has 21.4% and Burger King does the same exact thing as McDonald's, there's really not a big differentiator, at least in people's minds. You can't sit at 1.2%. Um this is going to take a while to pay off. They do say that the investments are expected to weigh on their earnings for 2022 and 2023, and they're not expecting any of this to really pay off till 2025. So this is an investment, a true definition of an investment. Um, the menu is going to be changed. The buildings desperately need to be changed as a whole anyway. Um, and really just from a personal experience, like Burger Kings just feel old. They just feel blah. I don't really eat fast food at all, other than like Qdoba, maybe Subway, Jimmy John's, like the kind of more fast casual style, style restaurants. But Burger Kings as a whole just don't visually look nice. McDonald's looked like they got a facelift. I think if you live near McDonald's and you've looked at it recently, you've 
probably noticed that the outside of the building looks like newer, more modern, sleek, and Burger Kings just don't, and $400 million is going to go to making them look like that. We'll see if it pays off. All right, we always talk Disney, and I know I'm probably getting sick of it at this point, but the activist investor, Dan Loeb, who basically told Bob Chapek, the CEO of Disney, you need to probably get rid of ESPN so you can continue to grow. He has now walked that back. I'm pretty sure they put his tweet in here at some point saying, here it is, we have a better understanding of ESPN's potential as a standalone business and another vertical for Disney to reach a global audience to generate ad and subscriber revenues. We look forward to, I'm pretty sure it's the the executive at ESPN um, ex- executing on this growth. So to cut it anyway, basically saying, look, I think I kind of messed up. I think I really see where you guys are coming from and continue on. Now, I bring this up to show this. Bob Chapek came out and said, Disney will never take bets or ESPN, sorry, will never take bets. We will never be a sports book that accepts bets, but instead we will partner with someone, some trusted third party to do that for us. So there's clearly a want, a drive to be involved in this sports betting world because of course it's very lucrative, right? He even says somewhere in here, we're going to want to take some of that revenue, um, but we are just not going to directly get involved with it. So this is a move that is going to be made. It's a move that they want to do. It's a move that needs to get done. It just hasn't happened yet. And it is going to be something a little bit more calculated than ESPN directly doing it. Now, continuing along with that calculated decision, he also said he would love to own Hulu tomorrow. So we've been talking about this over the last couple of weeks, how Hulu is kind of this odd chunk of of Disney that doesn't necessarily quite fit unless they own all of it because Comcast currently owns 33% of it. And there's that 33% portion is up for sale, but not for 20 till 2024. And so Disney has to wait till 2024 to purchase it, but it would probably be best if they could get it now so they can include it in a bundle. And it's this whole entire storyline that kind of goes along with Hulu and Comcast would like to buy it too. And they came out and said that, but of course, Disney owns those rights in 2024. So if Comcast doesn't want to sell and actually wants to buy it, they're clearly not going to want to give it up tomorrow. They're going to hold on to it for as long as possible or until that 2024 timeframe. So this is kind of this ongoing piece of Bob Chapek really understanding that he feels the future of Disney is its streaming. He's continued to say, I think this is going to be his sort of personal push or personal touch on Disney, that he really blew streaming up and made it this big thing. They obviously need ESPN to do that. That has been through and through something that he has said. He wants ESPN to continue to evolve with sports betting, and he also wants to add Hulu, all things that have to do with a streaming focus. Moving forward, completely different concept. We're now going to be talking about Apple Card and Goldman Sachs problem because of the Apple Card. So it did come out that Goldman Sachs loss rate on credit card loans is pretty much the worst among all of the big US card issuers at 2.93%. And more than 25% of their loans have went to people with FICO scores below 660. 
Now, why does that have any relevance? Well, if you think of someone who has a FICO score below 660, and this is a generalization, of course, they might be a borrower not in a good position to make the payments that they're supposed to make. And for that reason, this number, this 2.93% of loss rate on credit cards could continue to go up as economic activity continues to decline or people, you know, inflation rises. And so people don't have as much money to spend and their interest rate goes up on their card. And now they can't make those payments. And this is not good for Goldman Sachs because they already have a high number. They have a over a quarter of their loans to people who are in this type of tight spot, you don't want to be sitting there. Now, I'm not sure why nobody saw this coming. You have Apple, this big brand that attracts a very diverse set of individuals. Apple is not a brand that only elite people can touch. They're actually really accessible to everybody. And the point of the card was to then be accessible to everybody. And what you then create is this massive amount of the population that is attracted to a product, aka an Apple Watch or an iPhone or an iPad, and thus is then attracted to Apple Card. And Goldman Sachs being the bank that backs this card, they stand to lose, and they are losing at the worst rate among everybody in the United States. And so I'm not sure where they got this idea that giving it out to everybody was a good idea. I I just don't understand how you can look at this massive subset of the population. It's not a small subset. It's a huge subset of people and just lend to everybody And, and maybe not everybody, but to most and clearly to most, because like I said, a quarter of these loans were to people with below a 660 FICO credit score. I'm not sure how this is going to play out. I'm not sure how you can continue to position yourself. My guess is the Apple card is going to be a little bit harder to get approved for moving forward for people who do have a bit lower of a credit score. Now, with that being said, how Goldman navigates all of this, I'm not sure, but you could see here that he basically said they're probably going to face some questions at a board meeting later this week. This was on Monday. I'm not sure when that board meeting was or if it happened yet, but nonetheless, I find it very interesting because Apple Card was this premium branded laser titanium card that's very premium-esque, but it was marketed to a broad, diverse range of people and actually was marketed via software that it was easier to use and to find what your payment had to be. And so for that reason, it attracted a large number of people who had poorer credit ratings. And now they're in a pickle. Interesting. All right, another company that's in a pickle or has been in a pickle really for a very, very long time, Peloton. Um, The co-founders did leave the company. This just seems like a logical move. This gentleman right here, Simon Siegel or Simon, I'm not sure if that's actually how you said his name. I listened to this video, um, the BMO managing director, and he basically says, look, it was time for these two individuals, the co-founders, to move forward. The company is not what it used to be. Management has been shaken up. A new CEO has been brought in, Barry McCarthy. He is wildly changing what this business is, what it does, how it operates, and he has an upcoming decision to make that is extremely important. I think the two co-founders, this is just not the mission that they were on when they created this company. Um, And so for them, it's a logical step. Now, for the CEO, Barry McCarthy, this decision that he has to make is, does he want to grow the business or 
be profitable. And I saw this post and I'm not sure uh, where it came from. It was a graphic though. And it showed how the company was profitable and has become less profitable over time. When you try to mass market and grow and be efficiently priced and all of these things, you can drive your, your growth bonkers, but you can lose out on the earnings side of things because you're investing so heavily in marketing, you're investing so heavily in advertising, and you're trying to lower the cost to the consumer to jump into your product. And when you do that, you make less money. Peloton has made less money. And we have looked at their chart many a times, and it is absolutely hysterical. I mean, if we take a look at the last five years, it is a straight run up and a straight run down, and that's pretty much it. Now, I'm not sure where this business moves next. A lot of people seem to think, at least now, like, this is probably the bottom. There's nowhere else to really go, and instead you have to reposition yourself. Some people think that Peloton should position itself to become potentially profitable and then just sell the business off. You know, get it into a healthy spot so it's attractive to some bigger company and dump it and move on. That does not seem like the Barry McCarthy way. It does not seem like the way he is going to choose. And instead, they will continue to fight for this company. I think there is a space for this business. I just don't see where in the next really, really long time, to be honest with you. It's a very expensive product with a very expensive membership. And it just doesn't quite make sense for a lot of people, especially with the economic circumstances right now. We'll see what happens. All right. I'm sure we all felt this. If you checked your portfolio, you knew that this happened. We were down big on Tuesday. The Dow Jones dropped 3.94%. The S&P dropped 4.32%. And the NASDAQ dropped 5.16%. It was an absolutely brutal day. And it says here, (laughs) the worst day, at least for the Dow Jones, since June of 2020. Now, why did this happen? Inflation. CPI was up 0.1% versus a expected decrease of 0.1%, that being the month-over-month figure, and the year-over-year figure at 8.3% versus the 8.1% expected. Now, what this actually translates to (laughs) is the Federal Reserve, and the Federal Reserve is now going to have to hamper even more because of this. The expectation was for a 0.5% rate increase at the next Fed meeting. That expectation has been now priced in by markets at 0.75%, with a, think, a 30% or so expectation of a 1% rate increase. I work at a credit union, and the credit union and its members have felt these rate increases. If this continues to happen, obviously, consumers will be put in a worse spot. That is the point. We don't like to see these numbers come in like this because when they come in like this, it means that rates have to continue to rise. And the markets realized that on Tuesday and dropped nearly 4%, nearly 4.5%, and over 5% on all three of the major indices. So 
it was a bad day. It was a rough day out there. Hopefully, if you're a dollar cost averager or someone looking to get value, that you found value in this day because value could have definitely been found. Um, I believe I also, this is my Twitter. If anybody wants to go ahead and follow me on Twitter, I post stuff here all the time. This was the chart for that day. There was nowhere except for whatever this company was and a few of these companies down here. There was nowhere to run and hide. Joe Biden, president of the United States, announced the first round of funding for EV charging network across 30 U.S. states. There was a $7.5 billion allocation to national EV charging networks. This is where that money is going. Now, the 35 states, of course, include Michigan, where I'm from, where I'm located now. Um, Joe Biden was at the Detroit Auto Show, and he made this big announcement. He says... This is referring to Michigan. You are going to be a part of a $500,000. I'm sorry, this is not for Michigan. 500,000 um, 500, charging stations across the country installed by the IBEW or the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers Labor Union. 500,000 charging stations is amazing and it sounds great and it does address what the federal government is trying to do, which is toy with the private market and put it in the type of position it wants to be in, which is a position to adopt electric vehicles. I do not believe in my heart of hearts that the country is ready for this. I do believe this is the right thing to do at some point. I don't believe that the charging electrical grid here in the United States can withstand it, and we have already seen that in California. The governor of California, Gavin Newsom, has came out multiple times and said, hey, don't charge your cars at night, don't charge your car during the day, don't plug this, don't do that, turn your AC down, all this stuff, because what is happening? Electrical grids are being overworked. Yes, part of this could be from the heat, and yes, part of this is, is global warming, and I understand all of that, but there's a very fine line between blackout or brownout, or not being able to plug something in and use it when you need it, especially hospitals and other major things like that, and charging an electric vehicle and just using gas for a little while longer. We need to invest in the infrastructure built around the chargers themselves, not necessarily the chargers for now. Now, this is going to, as I said, push this wave of EVs. It's going to incentivize electric vehicles. It's going to make them easier to acquire because they're going to be easier to charge. And the motivation for that product, the drive for someone to purchase that product will be there. Hopefully the cost efficiency is there at some point, but we need to also focus on the actual electrical grid of the United States so that we can support 500,000 new chargers. And I hope that that is addressed and I hope that that is invested in and built upon but that has to happen before 500,000 charging stations go in. Starbucks. This is my last story here. If you like coffee, if you're interested in Starbucks at all, stick around for this. Starbucks had their investor day September 13th, so two days ago from the time of this recording, and they announced, in Starbucks fashion, the triple shot growth plan. Now, getting rid of all of the wordiness, essentially what this means is that they are now expecting over the next three years... 10 to 12% net revenue growth each year and 15 to 20% net earnings growth each year for the next three years. That is 
extremely impressive. And if they can execute on it, open up a note instead of uh, exiting out of this, if they can execute on it, will be absolutely amazing for investors in Starbucks. Now, how are they planning on doing this? First things first, they say they are really looking to improve partner experience. Now, partners are their employees, and their employees recently have been very, very riled up in forming unions. Of course, they don't want to do this, and so in the absolute most wordy way possible, company leaders shared commitments to radically improve the retail partner experience, making changes to focus on helping partners thrive at work as individuals and together through new tools such as wage innovation. I don't know how you can reinvent a wage, well-being benefits, and personalized career mobility. Now, I understand what they're doing. We need to treat our workers better so that they don't unionize. Got it. It doesn't need to be this wordy, but that's what they're doing. Next, they're focusing on brand. I'm not quite sure exactly what they say here, other than we understand that we have a strong brand. Um, They say Starbucks is the market leader on brand affinity, visits, and is the first choice among away-from-home coffee drinkers that identify as Latinx, African-American, and Asian-American. This doesn't tell us much other than, hey, we know we have a good brand. And I think that is important that they do recognize they have a big brand because you want to flex it a little bit, right? You want to show off a little bit. You want to be social. You want to have a social media presence. So it's good they understand it, but they don't really talk about how they're going to use it, at least not in this article um, that summarized the whole entire event. This is how they're going to drive growth right here. Going global, they say, the digital Starbucks experience is coming to all stores. Right now, 25% of U.S. orders are on your phone. So what that's saying is if your store does not offer the mobile orders, your store is at a disadvantage. No Starbucks store should be at a disadvantage when you're looking for mega growth over the next three years. And so they are absolutely focusing on making sure that the app experience is top tier and that mobile orders are at every single restaurant. This is going to be huge. Real-time updates in the app, a dedicated mobile order pickup lane, making mobile order and pay, they say, more personalized and more effortless. This is good because when 25% of your sales come from a specific area, you need to focus on that area and you need to make sure it's available everywhere. And globally is what they are focusing on, making this avail- <clears throat> excuse me, making this available everywhere. All right. Second thing, a purpose-built approach. What does that mean? Again, it's wordy. It means Uber Eats and DoorDash. We are going to allow you to deliver our stuff. We might actually build delivery-only locations. We might build curbside pickup-only locations. We're going to redesign some of our other stores, modernizing the way that they are working. This is, again, an actual tangible thing that is going to drive that net revenue and that earnings growth. How? Well, if you think about a very densely populated area, an area in which people might prefer to DoorDash or Uber Eats a coffee, instead of having one location that services the whole area, serves people that are on the inside, maybe drive-through, mobile order, and delivery, you can have almost ghost kitchens or smaller versions of stores that focus simply on curbside pickup and delivery. 
Cars drive up, pick up the order, they take it. They're DoorDash, they're Uber Eats, they're Grubhub, they're whatever. And you also have people walk up, you grab your coffee, and you leave because you already paid for it on your phone. This not only reduced the cost for the building, you could probably have a little bit less people in there because it's going to be a smaller building anyway. You're not focused on so many aspects and you don't need to build out a massive, beautiful place with chairs and upkeep and maintenance and all this other stuff. This is going to actually help them. They also say they're going to be ramping up the amount of stores they have. They currently have 35,000 now. They want to have 45,000 by the end of 2025 and 55,000 by the end of 2030. And they note it means opening eight new stores each day. If they can continue to do this, they could have their hands everywhere that any person moves. While yes, like we just talked about, you could order Starbucks to your home. Starbucks is something that you do when you're on the move. If you see Starbucks while you're on the move, you might get Starbucks. But if you don't see a Starbucks while you're on the move, you're probably not going to get Starbucks. Expand the footprint, expand the accessibility, expand the mobile ordering, expand the ease of pickup, expand the whole process, understand when my drink's going to be ready, how fast it's going to be ready, what process, what step it's in in the process. This can drive growth. And I, I do actually feel that this is relevant, tangible productive improvements on Starbucks end. And the last thing, new and innovative equipment will be given to baristas so they can focus on connecting with the customers that do choose to actually enter the location. This is awesome, especially when they're going to be introducing a new cold beverage station that can, what am I looking for here? Here it is. Freshly grind and brew a cup of coffee in 30 seconds and make less steps for the person who is making the coffee. Reduces time and steps to make a beverage. And that's very important when it was noted last quarter when they reported earnings that the company understood three quarters of U.S. sales came from cold beverages. Perfect. So now is the perfect time to introduce a cold beverage station, which allows those beverages to be made more efficiently and effectively than they were before. So a lot of movement on Starbucks front, a lot of movement on a lot of fronts. Burger King making some investments, Disney looking to shake things up and purchase Hulu, Starbucks innovating all over the place, hopefully building eight new stores a day um, until 2030, which is awesome. Hopefully you enjoyed This Week in Finance. I know it was a little bit of a longer one, a little bit rambly, um, but we did hop around to a bunch of different topics. I hope you found something that interested you. Go ahead and comment that down below. What interests you the most? I want to know in the comment section below. Thank you very much for watching this video, and I will see you all in the next one. Take care.